Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. good to fellowship together. And I hope and pray that you do realize how important, I hope and pray you realize how important a church family is. Um, guys, I tell you, we, we need each other, especially as believers in Christ in this day and age that we're living in. I think, I think the church family is going to have to get a whole lot stronger to be able to endure some of the persecution that's going to be coming on the church. I think that's the next step for the church. My heart's pretty heavy this morning. I've thoroughly enjoyed the worship music today. Thank you, Tyler and Van. Awesome job. Revived my spirit and gave me courage and boldness. And um, But I tell you what, I, I, I don't know that I ever really... I guess I've seen it coming in Scripture, but to see it start unfolding right before our very eyes where it's, um, it's where it's almost where you've, you struggle sometimes, especially as a preacher, standing on the Word of God. I mean, used to when you preach God's Word. I remember when I first got into ministry over 25 years ago and you stand and, man, you just preach heaven sweet and hell hot and sin is this and sin is that and people need to repent and get saved. It was like, yeah, yeah, everybody amen you and scotch you. And, but now it seems like we have, we have become a people, not necessarily the church, just our culture, has become a people that no longer want to hear the truth. And I realize, I realize that we're living in a, a postmodern era. I understand all of that. Uh, We're slowly watching the majority of Christians that would have called themselves Bible-believing Christians. We're slowly watching them become the minority in the culture where we live today. Uh, We're slowly watching churches and pastors and preachers uh, no longer stand on the authority of the Word of God. Uh, there's some other authority that has a stronghold in their life. And um, I made a promise to God, and I hope and pray you'll accept this. It's the promise I made to God many, many years ago. When I first got into ministry, I said, God, I will be a man that will stand and proclaim your word. And I always said that my tongue would never be tied to a paycheck. In other words, I was not going to let a church board dictate to me What I preach, I was going to preach the word of God. That's kind of where that came from. I also said, Lord, with my own personal convictions, if I'm the only one standing, I'm going to stand on the word of God. And I realize I'm not the only one standing, but those are some things that I told the Lord early on when I got into ministry. And in the first part of my ministry, it seemed like that was never going to be challenged. You know, everybody wanted to hear the word of God. But I'm amazed at the culture we live in today, friends, that has made a major shift. A culture that we live in today that the groves of of people, it seems, are migrating to churches and to preachers that are preaching a feel-good message and are watering down, and I would even say compromising the Word of God. Now, listen, guys, I, I want to preach in love. I don't want to preach with a tone of hate or, or bitterness or anger. That's, that's not my tone. Um, I want to preach in a tone of love. But because I love the Lord and because I love people that I'm preaching to, I must declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I've got to stand on the word of God. Okay, I hope and pray our church. I realize, (laughs) hey, I know, 
there are so many attacks on the pulpit and there are so many challenges that people put on the pulpit and the preacher. I mean, I've had, listen guys, I've had folks sit in my office and say, preacher, if you don't do this and you don't do that, I'm pulling my family out of here and I'm taking my tithe with me. I mean, I've had conversations like that. Preacher, I don't like what you said there. I don't like the word of God preached there. I don't, I, that offended me. And I've watched them walk out the door. Listen, guys, it hurts me to see people offended by the word of God and watch them leave the church. It grieves me. It grieves me to the point to where I question, God, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? But I'm reminded in Galatians, and I don't even have scripture for this, Charlie. I, this just hit me while we were on the platform, while Tyler was singing. I, I just got a... I've never taken, I've never taken, I never drink those energy drinks or those five-hour energy stuff, but they say when you do, it gives you this adrenaline or this rush or whatever, this bolt of whatever. I don't know what that stuff does. I've never, I've never drank it at all. Uh, however, I got one of those adrenaline bolts, and I just believe it was the power of the Holy Spirit uh, through, this, through the worship set this morning that said... <laughs> They just said, stand up there with courage and proclaim the word of God. And guys, listen, persecution's coming my way. I realize that it's coming, but here's the passage that I was reminded of that the Holy Spirit brought me to. And I just want to start with this. I don't even know how far I'm going to get in this message today. But I'm just going to start and try to be obedient to to the Lord. Please pray for me this morning. But in Galatians chapter 1... The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that has forgotten the message of the gospel and has forgotten the message of grace. And he's writing to a church that was being captured by legalism. Okay, man's ideas, man's philosophies being captured by by legalism. And he's writing to this group of believers in Galatia, the church of Galatia. And he says this in chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm amazed today how believers, preachers, churches, our culture has turned away from him and are now declaring a different gospel. And then he says in verse number seven, not that there is another gospel. <laughs> I like that. He says, you're turning away to preach some other gospel. He said, but there is no other gospel. All right. In verse number seven. But there are some who are troubling you and who want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven would preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. That's strong. It's the Greek word anathema. May you be accursed and completely done away with, destroyed. Paul is saying there is no other gospel. I want to declare to you this morning there is no other gospel. And I want to declare to you this morning that sin is sin, and I don't care how you package it. I don't care what comes through the president. I don't care what comes through the Supreme Courts. I don't care what comes through our governments. I don't care what comes at the state level or the local level. You can never change that sin is sin, and the gospel message of, the G- of Jesus Christ will never, ever change. And we must declare that even in a day that is rejecting that. Please pray for me today. Verse 9, as we have said before, I now say again, get this. If anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. Now guys, I realize that we as believers, as Christians, (laughs) sometimes we don't do a good job of declaring the truth. Sometimes we have the truth, but our presentation is horrible. I have watched, and I'm going to be preaching this morning. You can go ahead and put the title of my message up, Charlie. 
I'm going to be preaching this morning on how the church should respond to the June 19th ruling of the Supreme Court on same-sex marriage. And I do covet your prayers. I feel like, and I've, I've reached out to my other pastor friends, and I've asked them, how are you guys handling this? Some have said, we're not even touching it. It shocks me. How, how can you not touch it? How can you be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a preacher of the word of God, and not even acknowledge it, not even discuss it? And guys, I realize, I, I know, I, I know, I, I realize that this sin of homosexuality has become so accepted and the norm in our culture today. And it seems like if you speak out against it, that you're labeled a bigot or hate speech. Guys, I'm not a bigot. And I am not preaching with a spirit of hate this morning. Actually, I'm preaching with a spirit of brokenness, extremely heavy, as I just try to stand on the promises that I made to God years ago, that I would stand on His Word. And guys, I realize that many of us have friends and even family members that are involved in this homosexual lifestyle. I have friends and family members that are involved in this type of a lifestyle. I have folks that have unfriended me on Facebook. I have folks that have distanced themselves from me. Sometimes I walk into a crowd of people that I know were living in this lifestyle and if looks could kill, your pastor would be dead. I, I get the piercing looks and the hate and it grieves my spirit because I love them. But they've got to understand, just as we've got to understand, that homosexuality is a sin, just like drunkenness is a sin, just like fornication is a sin, just like sex outside of marriage is a sin. It's a sin. All sin is what put Jesus on the cross. All sin is what separates us from God. And if we're going to have a right relationship with the Lord then we've got to acknowledge the error and the sins in our life and repent of those and look to Jesus, look to the cross and plead and ask for forgiveness. And he says that I will forgive you. Listen, I'm glad. There's no sin so great. There's no sin so large that there's not forgiveness of that sin at the foot of the cross. No person has ever gone too far in a sinful lifestyle, that they cannot repent and receive forgiveness at the foot of the cross. That's called grace. That's called the gospel. All sin, all sin has condemned all men, including myself, to hell. There are none that are righteous. So I'm not standing here as some self-righteous, pious holier-than-thou person or preacher. I'm standing here telling you I'm just an old sinner saved by the amazing, marvelous, abundant grace of God. And now I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But just because the culture or the society or the majority of people give their approval to a particular area doesn't mean that that thing is no longer sin. Are you with me today, guys? I really don't even know where all of you guys stand on this issue. But I've got to declare to you, 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 you deserve the right to know. If you're going to come to this place and worship, if you're going to come to this place and give your tithe, if you're going to come here and sacrifice your time and your effort and your energy in serving this church and serving each other and helping us grow this church, then you deserve, if for no other reason, you deserve to know where I stand on some of these issues. 
you deserve to know where the church stands on some of these issues. Now, if listen, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If this, what I'm going to share with you today, if this offends you, then I want to ask you, one, to please pray about what it is that really is offending you. And then if you feel like you cannot sit under my preaching or this church any longer because of the stand that we take, and really the stand we take, we just place this at a supreme high This is the authority of all that we say and do, the Word of God. We're not adding anything to it. We're not taking anything away from it. We're not putting any man-made religious beliefs into it. You've heard me say over and over again, life's not about being religious. It's about having a relationship with a holy God. And the more we get to know Him, the more we see how... Let me just speak for myself. The more I get to know Him, the more I see how sinful I am. The more I get to know Him the more faults I see in my own life. The closer I get to Him, the more repenting I have to do in my own personal life. Because He is a holy God. And without holiness, no man will be able to see Him. And by the way, you can achieve holiness in and of yourself. You can't achieve holiness by turning over a new leaf. You can't achieve holiness by, by trying to do good works or good deeds. The only way you achieve holiness is when you and I realize how sinful we as a people are and we repent and we ask Christ to forgive us and He comes into our heart and He washes us with His blood and He clothes us in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And then and only clothed in His righteousness by the cross can we stand before a holy God and be called a holy people. Are you with me, church? Let's, let's pray, and then I, wanna, I just want to ease into this. Father, Lord, my heart is heavy this morning, and, and this subject has been heavy on me over the last several weeks. And God, with all we've had going on with Vacation Bible School and the Gideons, this, this now is the first opportunity I have to speak on this subject. Father, I need you. Oh, I need you. And I pray, God, that as I have prepared and as I have pinned down thoughts and as I have studied Scripture and as I have bathed this thing in prayer, God, help me to deliver it in a a way that it can be received, in in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And, Father, my prayer is that the Spirit of God, as Martin Luther prayed many years ago, that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and make us all more like the Son of God. God, I realize that today I stand in the minority in America. I realize today, God, that our nation has drifted so far from you. I, I realize that the world I live in today is not the world that I was born into in 1964. So much has changed. But God, you tell us that you never change. That your word never changes. Truth never changes. And God, you tell us in your word that your word will be fulfilled, that every jot and tittle will be fulfilled in your word. It is the final authority in my life. And your word is the final authority here at Victory Church. God, help us to stand on your word. But help us stand in a way that we don't drive people away. Help us stand in a way that, or help us to to stand on your word in a way that we can help drop the veil from the eyes that have been blinded by the culture of our world today. Speak through me, Lord. Help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Second Corinthians chapter four. I want you to turn there. I believe I do have this reference of scripture for you today. Second Corinthians chapter four. I just want to read verses one through six. And I'm, I'm really not even going to have time to unpack this. You can do some study with this passage of scripture, but I believe it almost defines where we are today in our culture. You go back in chapter three, you'll see where Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he's saying that your life should be living letters. In other words, you should have the gospel imprinted on your heart in the way that you live your life. Folks should be able to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of Christ in your life. And that's what he's talking about in chapter number three. He comes down to the latter part of chapter number three and, and or the middle part of it. And he's talking about the law and the grace and, and the difference that you find there. You get to the latter part of chapter number three and he's talking about Israel and, and how Israel as a nation has been blinded. But individually, the veil has been lifted so that individual Jews can come to Christ and they are called Messianic Jews and they can't be saved. But as a whole, the nation of Israel has a veil that's been put over their eyes. And of course, that's for a reason, because God has stopped the clock, I believe, with Israel and he's turned to the Gentiles. And it's the dispensation of grace that we live in today. But there'll be a time when that door, that dispensation will come to a close and he'll turn back to Israel and then the veil will be lifted and then God will deal with, with Israel. But we bring that into chapter four. And the reason I gave you that context is because chapter four, verse one starts with the word therefore. And good hermeneutics would teach you that anytime you're studying the Bible and you see the word therefore, you need to stop and pause and see what it's there for. Make sense? It's there for a reason. It's tying in chapter three with chapter number four. Now, another thing you need to understand about God's word, the scripture is that chapter and verse, the, the numeric values of dividing up the letters are not necessarily inspired by God. Okay. The chapter four, Paul didn't say now chapter four, verse one, you know, this was a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And so it flows together. And so I, knew, I want to give you a little bit of context of chapter three. So you have a little better understanding of what's going on in chapter four. And he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy we do not give up. Everybody say, do not give up. Let me declare to you that we cannot give up. As believers in Jesus Christ, as believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, church, we cannot give up. I've made statements to my wife that sometimes I just want to retreat. Sometimes I just want to throw in the towel and move back to the mountains of North Carolina and hibernate in our cabin there and just kind of hang out and keep a shotgun and keep a and, and even I've told her, I said, just try to hide out there in our cabin and just retreat. No, we can't quit. We can't give up. Right. I mean, that's the easy thing to do. Right. To retreat, to, to back away from it all. But he tells us we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. What he's saying here is that if you're going to quit and if you're going to give up and if you're going to retreat, then what you're doing, you're putting a veil over the gospel and it's only going to hurt those who are already perishing. They need you. They need me. They need us as a church collectively together, lifting up the veil and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they do not perish. That's a paraphrase. In verse 4, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Question, who is the God of this age that has blinded the minds of unbelievers? Who is the prince and the power of the air of this age? It's Satan. Okay. 
He is the one that has blinded our culture. He is the one that has blinded and has this veil over the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not preaching to you my message. Paul is saying, I'm not declaring unto you my gospel. He's saying, I am not proclaiming ourselves, but I am proclaiming Jesus Christ our Lord. People have come up to me since June the 19th. And have asked me, Pastor, what do you think about the ruling of the Supreme Court? Pastor, where do you stand on this? What do you think about that? Just let me once again reiterate. It doesn't make a hill of beans what I think. Just let me reference that again. It doesn't matter what I think. Are you with me, church? Let me go a little further. It really doesn't matter what you think. Let me go a step further. It really doesn't matter what politicians or judges think. Are you with me? It matters what thus saith the Lord. That's what matters. So when folks come to me and say, Preacher, what do you think? I say, whoa, 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 it's not about what I think. It's about what God says. And I want you to know that I live in fear of a holy God. And by the way, church, one day I will have to stand before him and give an account on how I declared the gospel and the word of God to you as a church. I will give an account of every word that I've said and every maybe every hard place that I've tried to scoot by. I will have to give an account of that. That's why I could not believe that there are churches and pastors that I have spoken with, friends of mine, that aren't even dealing with this subject. To me, I feel like you deserve to hear what your pastor has to say about this. And then you have to make up your mind if you will continue to call Victory Church your home or if you need to go somewhere else. And by the way, I hope you don't go anywhere else. But if you do, I want you to know as you're walking out the door, I love you. And I love you so much that I have to declare the truth of God's word to you. Okay? So I want you to know that's where we are. Therefore, he says, For we're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, ourselves as your slaves. Who's he he a doulos to? He's a doulos first and foremost to Christ, but also to the church at Corinth. He said, I am your servant. And by the way, I want you to know that's how I view myself. I know there's a lot of people that view the role of a pastor as some supreme being or some hierarchy in the church or sits on the highest seat, if you will, of the church and wants to be served. No, that's not me. I am your servant. I serve you by studying and preaching and declaring to you the word of God. But I also serve you by digging ditches around here and cleaning toilets and Tyler and I spent I don't know how many hours in that Connection Cafe wiping down every piece of furniture and mopping floors. I know Terry was out here working too and Patty was out here working. But, but listen, as a pastor, we've got to lead by example. Paul, you are a servant. John Pratt is a servant. We are the pastors here. We are servants to you. And I want you to see that. I hope and pray you do. So therefore, he says in verse number 6, For God... For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is that in those dark places, the light shines brighter. And what we have done, we have the gospel hidden on our heart. We're living it out publicly. We're serving. We're proclaiming to you the word of God. The light of the gospel is shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of God's glory. I hope and pray that that's my prayer. That I can give light to the knowledge of God's glory. 
So at the end of the day, one day, I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So therefore, church, I must stand on God's word. So I'm not going to be preaching a whole lot about homosexuality and is it or a sin or not. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to refute that vow. It's a sin. The lifestyle is a sin. The Bible's clear. There's six major references in the scripture, Romans 1 being one of the strongest and one of the most debated passages of scripture that just plainly call that lifestyle a sin. Now, understand me. It's a sin just like any other sin. And, and people often tell me, say, or ask me, will you allow homosexuals to walk into the church and be a part of our Sunday morning worship service? Why, yeah, I allow the drunkard that tied on a drunk on Saturday night to walk in on Sunday morning. Hello? I allow the couples that are having sex outside of marriage, which is a sin, to walk in and worship on Sunday morning. I allow the servant of God, whether it be a pastor, deacon, or layperson who the Holy Spirit spoke to to them on Saturday and wanted them to share the gospel with someone and they did not do it, therefore it is sin. I allow them to come in on Sunday morning and worship. We've got to get out of this mindset of classifying sins. Sin is sin. Are you with me? There's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. There's things that you do that's called sin, and there's things that you should have done that you did not do that is now sinful. All of it needs to be repented of. Are you with me, church? On June 19th, 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that same-sex couples can now marry in all 50 states. <laughs> may I remind you, may, and you already know this, what a flurry of reaction took place by Christians and non-Christians alike. I sat back and was amazed at all that was taking place in the news, of all that was taking place locally, of all that was taking place on social media. I was saddened by a lot of the responses that I saw Christians giving. I was saddened by a lot of the way... Now, what they were saying was good, but the way they presented it was horrible. Arguing, bickering, hateful stuff. That's not Christ-like. Hello? So I, w I really want to try to share with you today, I'm really not preaching on whether it's sin or not. The Bible calls it sin, so I have to say it's sin. It calls a, it calls a lot of what I do sin, and I repent of it. Right? I mean, so sin is sin. We've all sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. So everyone that has sin that's unrepented, needs to pray and ask God to convict us, to finger around in our heart in areas of our life that He's not pleased with and ask Him to convict us. I pray that prayer often. God, search me. Is there anything in my life that you're not pleased with? If so, finger around in that area. Put your finger on it. Convict me so that I can repent of it because my heart wants to be in tune with the Lord. I love Him. He has blessed me and done so many wonderful things for me that I don't deserve. And most importantly, He saved me. Ed Stetzer at Lifeway Research in Nashville, Tennessee, part of the Southern Baptist denomination, they did a phone survey of 2,000 Americans asking them questions about gay marriage. And found that the way Americans view gay marriage is often impacted on whether they have family or friends that are involved in that lifestyle. As a matter of fact, 
Some of the results are that Americans who say that they have gay or lesbian friends are twice as likely to say that gay marriage should be legal. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I just wonder how many of us are impacted by that. I would say probably most of us. I am. I have family members that are in this lifestyle. I have friends that are in this lifestyle. We have acquaintances of people that we know that are in this lifestyle. But what we have found through this survey is that 2,000 Americans, because they had friends or family involved in that lifestyle, they were twice as likely to accept and say that gay marriage should be legal. Fewer than half of the Americans say that homosexuality is even sinful. So if, if we, I, am in the minority... Whenever I think it's a sinful activity. And researchers have found that friendship and faith play an influential role in how, how Americans respond. And even look at this. 2,000 Americans were called by Lifeway. And they were asked the question on whether gay marriage should be legal. Of those 2,000 Americans that had gay or lesbian friends or family members, 60% of those said it should be legal. Of those that did not have any gay or lesbian friends or family members, 33% of those said it should be legal. So you see how it drops off. If you're not impacted by this, if you don't have friends or family members that are involved in this lifestyle, then you're, you're removed from the situation and you, you line up closer with what God's Word says, that no, it shouldn't be legal. Now, 33% is still a crazy high number for those that even are, aren't impacted. But what I want you to see is that those family members and those friends impact the way we view this lifestyle. Okay? And so there's 60% that said yes. And then they were asked the question, what about sex between people of the same gender? Is it sinful? Regardless of whether it's legal or not, if you have two men or two women of those that had family or friends that were involved in that lifestyle, 42% said, uh, agreed that it's sinful and 55% that it's, that it's sinful if they did not. The point I want you to get is that a lot of times our view on this type of a subject is skewed by how close we are to it. It's skewed by family and friends that may be involved in that lifestyle. And guys, I know, I, I know it's hard. I, I, have, I have close relations that are involved in it as well. And we've got to stand on God's word. But I want to get to our response, okay? How do we handle this? And I'm just going to be able to get started because I've got a lot to say. So I'm going to have to come back next week and finish this, okay? So, so how, do we, how do we respond to this? I want to share with you what I believe to be a few foundational thoughts or principles just to help guide our thought process, to help us, if you will, frame this issue. How, how are we to respond? How are we as Christians, as a church, how do we respond to something like this? Now, I think it's very important because we have to know which direction we're going. We have to know what our next steps are. I don't know about you, but I want to know, how, how is Victory Church going to respond to this? How are we collectively together going to respond? And that's kind of where my thought process is going. I'm not going to even deal with the subject, is it sin or not? The Bible says it is, so it is. That's kind of black and white to me. Okay? So I'm coming back over here now. How do we respond when a culture, when a society, if you will, has accepted it, made laws that make it legal, and now we look like the bigots? How do we respond to all of that. So that's the, that's the perspective I'm coming from. Okay? You, you understand that? So I'm going to share with you about... Man, I've got a lot of things I want to share with you. So I'm going to get a little bit further and I'm going to stop and then I'll come back next week and we'll finish it out. But I'm going to share with you some of the, some of the thoughts I think we should have. First of all is this. 
Number one is this. I hope you got this slide, and maybe you don't. First of all is this one, that no human court has the authority to redefine marriage. Number one. Number one, no human court has the authority to redefine marriage. Why? Because they never defined it. Okay? Marriage was given to us by God, not by Supreme Courts, not by the President of the United States, not by Congress, not by state local officials. Marriage was instituted by God. Okay? He defined it. So because God defined marriage, no human court has the authority whatsoever to redefine it. Hello? The verdict, get this, the verdict by the Supreme Court does not change the God-ordained reality of marriage between one man and one woman. It just doesn't change it. Okay? So I want you to understand that. And by the way, let me say this too. God was not defeated on June the 19th, 2015. He is still sovereign. He is still in control. Hello? He wasn't defeated. Therefore, we should not be defeated. But what happens is we allow our enemy, if you will, Satan himself, to pigeonhole us into this one little battle and think now that we're defeated. No, we're not. God certainly was not defeated on that day. Matter of fact, I'm going to tie in two verses of Scripture, Proverbs 21.30, Daniel 4.35. Nothing will prevail against him, God, Proverbs 21.30, and nothing will prevent the advancement of his kingdom, Daniel 4.35. God is still in control. All right? That's what I want you to see. Now, let's talk a little bit about this thing called marriage. What is marriage? Well, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 5, Jesus, Jesus Christ reminds us that at the beginning, the Creator made us male and female. And He said, For this cause a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Matthew 19 And verse number 5 is where Jesus reiterated the authority of the Scripture from way back in the book of Genesis. Okay? That marriage is between one man and one woman. Marriage was originated by God. It was originated by God in divine wisdom and goodness. Marriage was designed to promote human happiness and holiness. Marriage is the foundation of home life and social order. By the way, for those of you that I did your marriage ceremony, this may sound familiar because this is a little sermon that I give in every marriage ceremony reminding everybody what marriage is. I didn't know that I'd ever have to preach it on a Sunday morning. It's a marriage ceremony, little sermonette. Okay? But here we are. I just did a marriage two weekends ago. This is what I shared. This is what marriage is. Between one man and one woman. Marriage is the foundation of home life and social order. Marriage was sanctioned and honored by the presence and power of Jesus at the marriage of Canaan of Galilee, which marked the beginning of his wonderful public ministry. Marriage was also commended by the Apostle Paul to be honorable among all men. The ceremony of marriage between one man and one woman, it's the first and the oldest ceremony in the entire world, celebrated in the beginning in the presence of God Himself. Marriage is a gift of God given to comfort the sorrows of life and magnify its joys. Marriage is the clasping of hands, the blending of hearts, the union of two lives, one man, one woman coming together as one. Jesus said, I reiterate again, Matthew 19 and 5, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So the point I want you to see is that no human court, no no human court, I don't care if it's the Supreme Court of the United States, No human court has the authority to redefine marriage because the courts never defined it to begin with. It was defined by God. 
by the way, let's just call time out, step away and get to the political side of it. They even overstepped their boundaries and their rights. They can't legislate from the bench. I'll step back out and step back into the preacher. Are you with me? Can't legislate from there. Uh, anyway, that's a whole that's a whole other argument. Right, I mean, this conversation can go on and on and on. Number two, let me give you the second thought here. Number one, no human court has the authority to redefine marriage. Number two, the word of God has pronounced judgment on any nation that would reclassify evil as good. Darkness as light and bitter as sweet. So what we have just done, we have just moved America even more closely into the crosshairs of God's judgment, if you will. So therefore, as as Christ followers, as Christians, I believe that we are responsible for never, ever, ever compromising on these issues. We must stand firm. Now, I believe there is a proper way to respond. A lot of what I've seen has been the wrong way to respond. Do not allow this issue or any other issue to take the low roads. Take the high road. Respond in the proper way. I mean, if you're not presenting truth in a way that it can be received, folks are going to have a hard time receiving it anyway, right? So we, it's, it's a very important. So the Word of God, I want you to see, has pronounced judgment on any nation that would reclassify evil as good, darkness as light, or bitter as sweet. Number three, I want you to get this. This ruling proves that we, as Christians, are clearly in the minority and that we are a people set apart. Now, here's, here's part of the problem. We as Christians, as believers, have gotten so comfortable in this world. This world's not our home. Now we're celebrating here this 4th of July weekend, the, the birthday of America and our independence, and praise the Lord for that. And I call myself an American citizen. I understand that. But I'm more so a citizen of the kingdom of God than I am an American citizen. I mean, I'm only going to be an American citizen for a short while, probably less than 100 years. And I'm already 50. So if I live to be 100, I only have 50 more years to even call myself an American citizen. But I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God that will never end. So what we've got to see is that this ruling in America proves to us as believers and Christians that, yeah, we're clearly in the minority, but that's okay. Right? This isn't our home. Our true citizenship is certainly with the Lord in heaven. And I believe this. The standards, get this, the standards that shaped Western culture and American society, those standards have given way to practical atheism and more relativism. You understand that? The world we were born into, especially those that are older, it's not the same world we live in today. The wor- I remember when my mom would send my dad to the store on Saturday night to buy a gallon of milk because everything was closed on Sunday. I remember that. Slowly, everything has changed. We no longer live. In the world we lived in with the standards and the values and the principles that shaped our nation. Things have changed. We now have given way, and I'll say it again, to practical atheism and moral relativism. That's where we are in a culture. So I declare that to you so that you can use that to understand how we should be able to respond to issues such as this. You can't, you can't respond the old way or, bless God, the Bible says, people don't even accept the Bible anymore. So you're going to have to come up with a better way of presenting the truth of the Word of God. I mean, there was a day when we never locked the church doors. I remember the church I grew up in and the church that I even pastored back in North Carolina. It was never, ever locked. We never locked it. Why? Because people respected the church. 
And it was open all the time. Folks would come in and pray, go out and do their thing. If you need to have a meeting there, the church is open. Go on and have a meeting. Community used it for whatever. Do you think we'd leave this church building unlocked today? There's no way. I don't leave it unlocked while I'm here. No. And I tell our praise team and I tell our ladies, I'll tell Donetta, if my wife's out here working by herself, you be sure everything's locked up. Why? We live in a different day. Okay? <laughs> I believe this also. We've, I, I believe that this decision, it's done nothing but simply accelerate the rate of decline that we have, are living in those days that I was telling you about. And I believe this also, that a country will not rise above the morality of its citizens. And the majority of Americans do not even have a biblical worldview. Understand that. These are things we must understand so that we know how to respond properly in the world that we live in today. The majority of Americans do not even have a biblical worldview. So therefore, we've got to know how to be able to take the Bible and influence those that we're speaking to. Take the truth of the Word of God and impact those. Now, I realize the Holy Spirit's going to have a major role in that. He's the one that convicts. He's the one that draws. I understand all of the theology in that. I understand all of that. But somehow, God has to use a mouthpiece. And that's us. And we've got to be able to declare it in a way with understanding where we are as a culture so that the truth of God's Word can be received. And I'm going to start this one here. I'm going to stop with this one. I'm going to give you number four and I'm going to stop. Number four is this. Get this. I want you to understand this. Religious liberty is nowhere promised in the Bible. Matter of fact, the church thrived the greatest when it was under great distress and persecution. When the persecution left, the church got fat and lazy. Right? Religious liberty is nowhere promised or defined in the Bible. Now, we in America, over these last many years, the church of Jesus Christ, the church that we serve and love and live in today, we have enjoyed unprecedented freedom. Right? All through the years. I mean, think about it. Think about the, the tax savings that the church has had, which, by the way, I look for that to go away. And it will not surprise me when that goes away. It'd be another battle they're going to fight, but it's not going to surprise me when it leaves. Right? All the different blessings and favor that we have received is slowly changing. Now, you've got to understand this, guys. Our culture has changed. I know a lot of times I've always heard, oh, I just wish things were the way they were. I wish the church was the way it was. Oh, sorry, honey. Things have changed. Hello? It's time we realize that. It's time we become realist to some degree and understand that things have changed. There is a new normal. For the church that's rapidly coming upon us. What is the new norm? No longer flourishing under the freedoms that we're the church and everyone respects it. No. The new norm for the church is persecution. Now, I say it's a new norm. It's a new norm for us in America. The church. Back in its conception in early days has always lived under persecution. But in America, we've been blessed with this freedom. Guys, that's changing. No, it doesn't matter if we like it or not. I don't like it. I wish we could continue to enjoy the freedoms that we've had as a church. But they're slowly being taken away. But I want you to understand, I can't find chapter and verse where the church is supposed to experience relig religious freedom and be under no persecution from governments or the culture or society of its day. So I believe, and I'm going to close with this statement. 
I believe there's never been a more important time for you and for me as Christ followers to help lead the church. To help lead the church by skillfully handling the Word of God. I'll be honest with you. I'm saddened. I'm saddened with the ruling that took place. I'm saddened with what I see in our culture. I'm saddened by all the bickering and the division. It seems like our nation is so much more divided today than I can ever remember it being divided. I'm saddened by that. We all are Americans. And we all should come together and enjoy our, our freedom of America as far as July the 4th is concerned. But I'm saddened. I'm saddened to see the ruling that came out. I'm saddened to see that this thing that the Bible calls sin has now been accepted in our lifestyle, in our culture, and it's now legal in all 50 states for same-sex marriage. I'm saddened by all of that. But listen, I'm not surprised by any of it. I'm not surprised by it. You want me to tell you why I'm not surprised? I have studied eschatology, and I have studied soteriology, and I have studied the doctrines of last time, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of salvation. I've studied all of those in depth. But whenever you start thinking about the doctrine of the end times, which, by the way, people say, whoop, here's a sign, we're in the end times. Honey, we've been in the end times for 2,000 years. Okay, well, I, don't know, I don't know, you just woke up from a nap or something, but we've, we've been in the end times for a very long time. Okay, the end times been going on since, since Jesus ascended and the church age started. That's, the, last, that's the, the, the end times, the dispensation of the church. And then that's going to come to an end. Now, I believe there are things that we can see that even accelerating, we can see it coming to an end quicker. But here's one of the things I do know. I love the United States of America. I am thankful that I am an American citizen. I am thankful that I am a Baptist preacher in America. And I am thankful for all the freedoms that I've had to preach and declare God's word up to this time. However, I know that things have changed. And there is going to be, there is a major shift that has taken place in our culture. And church, we need to get ready for the new norm the new normal of persecution coming on the church. Because that's where we are. The attacks are coming. The attacks are coming. They're going to get greater and greater. But, but I want you to be of good cheer. Because I get goosebumps right now because the Lord knows what I'm going to say. Be of good cheer, Jesus said. For I, finish it for me, have overcome, finish it, the world. Be of good cheer. God is sovereign. He's still on the throne. Amen. He was not defeated June the 19th. Jesus is coming again for his church. Be of good cheer. But let me wrap it up with this. And this is where I was going. As you study the doctrine of end times, you'll discover there is no superpower called the United States of America. Somehow or another, United States of America is going to come down from its superpower status and it's going to yoke up possibly with the other ten kings and those are going to be the ten rulers that you'll see in Revelation that kind of take us through the end days. I love this nation and I've enjoyed watching her bask in its glory and see all the blessing that God has given it. I love this nation and I'm thankful I'm a part of it. But what we saw on June 19th is a sign that things have taken a major shift. And we can sit over here and we can get in our little groups and we can whine and cry and complain and we can yell and scream and we can get with somebody on Facebook and we can start horrible debates. Or we can be a realist and we can say, you know what, I understand where we are. Lord, help me to respond in a way that I can reach my generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. I'll finish this message tomorrow or next Sunday. Father, thank you for our time together today. And thank you, Lord, for helping me and giving me strength to share a portion of what I've prepared. Lord, I pray that we'd be a people that would dig deep into the Word of God. That we would take our own personal preferences and realize that those really mean nothing. What really stands and needs to stand in our lives 
is the authority of the Word of God. And I look around, I see churches and pastors that are walking away from the Word and no longer proclaiming the truth of the Gospel. As Paul said, they're preaching another Gospel where there really isn't another Gospel. God, help us. Help me. God, help me here at Victory Church to stand on Your Word and declare Your Word with love, with patience, with long-suffering, with kindness, with truthfulness. And Father, I pray You help our church to stand in these days. Father, we need You now more than ever. Our people need to be a praying people. Oh God, we cannot fight this battle. We cannot reach this generation. We cannot minister to this culture unless we bathe everything we do in prayer. We have your power resting on us. We draw, we tap into your wisdom and your knowledge, your leadership. Father, help us. As I said earlier in this message, God, it really doesn't matter what I think, nor does it matter what anyone else thinks. What really matters is what the Word of God teaches us. Father, help us to be a people that will love your Word. Stand on your Word. And love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And love those that are trapped in this lifestyle. God, help us to reach them with the truth. We'll never do it with hate speech. And I know we're labeled that whenever we declare the truth. But sometimes we're labeled that because our tone is wrong. Our attitudes are wrong. Our spirit is wrong. Convict us of that, Lord. And give us wisdom discernment and great power and boldness and we can just stand and we have the gospel of Jesus Christ written on our hearts being lived out in our life Father help us we need you today thank you God that you're still sovereign you're still on the throne you're still holy still carried out your purpose and your plan. Help us to serve you today. His heads are still bowed and eyes closed and I don't know where you may be on all these issues. And possibly some have taken offense. I hope not. Possibly some are just uncertain. I just want to pray for you this morning. Father, I realize that This is a very sensitive subject. It's cultural dynamite, if you will. But God, we've got to deal with these issues as they come up. We must handle them from the Word of God. And Lord, I pray for those that that may be confused or or maybe they really don't know or or they don't understand. Maybe they're hurt through this whole thing. God, there's so many different levels of emotion that takes place whenever we talk about this particular lifestyle. God, I personally do not have the answers for all of the situations, questions that folks may have, but God, you do. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to hearts, maybe some even here now, and you would help us, give us understanding, drive us to our knees in prayer, drive us to your word, Help us, God, to search diligently what the Bible has to say. Not necessarily what Facebook or Twitter or our neighbor has to say. Help us to search your word. And God, then help us to surrender to the authority of Scripture. And God, if we take away the Bible, we have nothing to stand on. 
Father, for those that are struggling with this issue, I place them in your care. Speak to their heart, O God. Comfort them. Give them wisdom and discernment. Enlightenment. Give them scripture. May they feel your presence. Give us wisdom. God, we place all of us in your care. Lord, we are needy people. We need you. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.